This is Secrets to Win Big, your roadmap to sustained growth. Brought to you by Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, top brand growth driver and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. Find him at zenmango.com. And now, here's your host, Arjun Sen. Welcome to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen. Hi, this is Arjun. And it's truly a pleasure to talk to leaders who strive and put brands on the path to win big. You know, winning is fun, but winning big puts us on sustainable long-term wins. And in this podcast, it's truly a pleasure to have conversation with leaders from all walks of life all over the world. And in that spirit today, it's a pleasure and an honor to welcome my VIP guest, Carlo Cisco. Carlo is an entrepreneur and a true innovator in the hospitality industry. He's the founder and CEO of Select, a private membership community and concierge service. Select partners not only with top-rated restaurants and clubs at local levels, but also with global brands in travel and entertainment. Carlo has been one of hospitality's fastest growing stars by Entrepreneur Magazine. And knowing a little bit about restaurants with my 30 years background, what I found is the impact happen at ground level and what he is doing locally is where the impact is. So Carlo, welcome to Secrets to Win Big. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So Carlo, at the very beginning, I just want to understand a little bit about the mission of your company. You know, what is your goal and why did you get started in this journey? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, in short, our sort of objective was to turn the tools, you know, financial tools like credit and debit cards that enable our lifestyles into things that actually make them better. And sort of our first version of that was, you know, with, or is, I should say, with the present membership product. So, you know, right now select as a membership card, mobile app and, and digital concierge. And then, you know, in the future, we'll be doing our own credit and debit cards um, that basically connect people with all these various benefits that we're establishing with merchants and venues all over the world, as you mentioned, both at the local level and also at a global level. So, you know, in the restaurant space, there are tons and tons of solution providers. Yeah. But what I found was there is that one provider who can increase my sales, my transactions is the one that I want. So what is the niche that Select offers? Like the world didn't need another company, but the world needs you and Select. So what is the unique niche and who is your target audience? Yeah, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, in, in terms of like the various brands that that work with restaurants, we're, we're definitely unique. We, we work with a lot of restaurants that from a marketing perspective, don't work with anybody else because they don't need to. We have about half of the top 20 grossing restaurants on, in the country on select. We have Michelin starred restaurants. We have places that have zero empty tables ever. And basically the difference with us is that, you know, they're providing a benefit for our members and it's significant, but it's also sustainable. We do not charge the restaurants for participating. We care much more about the benefits that the members receive. So there's, you know, zero fees, zero risk for them to participate. And then because of the way the membership is structured, you know, it's by invitation or application only. Everybody, even if you are invited, has to apply. Everybody has to pay an annual fee for access. And, and essentially what these, you know, sort of 
barriers to entry do is, is it makes it so that our community of members is better than what's out there typically. And where it boils down to the numbers for restaurants at the end of the day is like even with the member incentive included, whether it's, you know, 20 to 30 percent off or a free on a drinks or in some cases it's both. The average check of a select member, even with that included, is higher than the average check of the restaurant pretty much across the board on our program. So that that's our niche. We're, we're working with the best places in town, not everybody. We have plenty of venues and plenty of brands that we've turned down that we you know, don't want to have on the program. And then you know, we're bringing them the best people. So, so even though they are doing something for our members that they're not doing for anyone else, it's actually to their benefit. Well, and I think you know, that's where I was planning to go was the name Select. And you just showed me that you are working with a select group of brands. So tell me a little bit more about, on, you know, elaborate a little more on the whole application process, what are the right brands to work, you know, to partner with you and be part of this? And how did you come up with the name Select? Yeah, that's a great question. So starting with the application process, of course, we're looking at things like income and, you know, job and stuff like that. But we're also looking at, you know, sort of education, career trajectory, interests, pursuits outside of the normal work environment. So it's not an extensive process, but it's also not super short. We found that it's just enough to get the information that we need from people to get a sense for how good of a fit they are for both the program and then the you know different benefits uh, that, that we offer. So I'm forgetting the middle one, but in terms of the name select, uh, it comes very much from the fact that we're being selected on both sides and we're, we're really matching people at the end of the day. We're matching a you know, certain customer group with a certain broader lifestyle category, inclusive of dining, travel, entertainment, retail, all of those different things in a way where there's a good fit on both sides. And now I'm remembering the second question, which is you know, the types of businesses that we work with. And you know, what I always say is that we're working with best in category businesses. So like, do we have you know, very expensive high-end Michelin starred places? Yes, we do. Do we have some of the most popular places in the country actually are already told you, yes, we do. Do we have global brands like BMW and Land Rover and that kind of stuff? Yes, we do. But we also want the neighborhood hotspot. We also want the place that has that unforgettable view. We also want the up and coming innovator, right? So like, you know, a lot of the lifestyle brands on select are sort of these well-known global brands, be it Bose or Brooks Brothers or BMW or someone like that. But we've recently been starting to curate some of these more innovative startup brands like Caraway and companies like that. And it's cool to see them sort of very quickly emerge as category leaders when you're making the right selection. So the short answer, I know it's a longer answer, but basically it's best in category businesses across the board that we feel are well-suited for our members and their lifestyles. Love that. So looking at your experience, because many a time, some of us are focused on one brand. And of course, the last 14 months have been bizarre. And a lot of us, we are caught unprepared. So how do you see, like what should hospitality industry being brands should be doing now to bounce out of this and be stronger than ever in the years ahead? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, we were sitting in an interesting seat during this. We were fortunate that, you know, our product is membership based. So we were much more insulated than pretty much any other company that touches these industries. And, and for restaurants, it was brutal, right? And it varied so much by location. I'm down here in South Florida 
businesses here are completely thriving, packed. The biggest request we're getting down here is, can you get me a table? Like it's impossible to get tables anywhere. So it's cool to see that some areas have definitely bounced back and it is a full bounce back. And we saw glimmers of that throughout the year. But I think the big thing for businesses to do now as things are reopening, as it is safer, is really put the customer experience first and make sure you get your customers back through the door. Because I think that even though, and we've seen it, like people absolutely want to get out. People absolutely want to go to places like the, there have been multiple studies recently and like, you know, where people want to splurge spend post pandemic and typically restaurants are number one, travels, number two, restaurants are number one. It is a big opportunity, but especially depending on where the restaurant's located, like you've got to make sure that you capture people. A lot of people, as we were talking about before we started, have, have moved around. So just because you were incredibly busy and, and packed before the pandemic, it doesn't mean you're going to be after the pandemic, even if the demand is there. Some of those people that were going to, you know, STK in New York, they're in Miami now. That's where they live. They're not coming back, you know, and similarly in some of the other areas. So I think you got to make sure that you're getting your loyal customers back, that you're wowing them with the experience so that they in turn, tell other people to go to your restaurant. And I think that's that's really what it's going to be about for these places at the end of the day. And then, of course, if there's things that they can do to make the experience at their business more interesting and, you know, like what pops to mind first is a really incredible outdoor setup or, or something like that. Those are things I saw make places a lot more popular during the pandemic, but it could also be a really interesting, really incredible menu, right? Maybe it's like a really cool seasonal menu. So, so it's just about, you know, giving people an experience that they can't get elsewhere and, and making sure that you get them back through. So the two things that you pushed hard is the experience that you don't get anywhere else. And you give a lot of examples for that. Love that. And I think that will really resonate. And the second half was giving guests a reason to visit, a reason to come back. What are some things that you are seeing that is working as reasons to give guests, to drive guests back in restaurants? Yeah, that's a great question. I think there's, you know, different formats of this. Maybe one of the more, it's kind of an anecdotal story, but one of the restaurants that I would go to when I was living in New Jersey in the suburbs, not far from New York, is there was a restaurant I like to go to. And during the pandemic, they secured this really great outdoor space and they put money into it. They turned it into this garden, had a really nice feel, whatever, like because they made this bold move and got this space and invested in it and got you know, the regulars who were coming in saw it, told more people, et cetera. They actually ended up, even when capacity was like 25% indoor, even when it was outdoor only, they were serving more people than before the pandemic because they took a leap, got this space, innovated with it. So that's a really incredible way to get people back. But, you know, not every venue has some hidden secret, a beautiful outdoor space right next to it. You know, particularly if you're in somewhere like New York City, but you can still do maybe some sort of interesting event or work with a brand or a promoter to sort of bring people in, make your place exciting, make it intriguing. And then same thing if you're going to do, you know, like a menu switch up or something like that. So there's definitely different paths. Probably the most successful one I've seen in the last year, though, are, are the venues that invested in their outdoor spaces. And I think that will be a lasting investment. I, th I think that people 
following something like this, like want to spend more time outdoors, well, you know, it's safer, it's also nicer as long as the weather is good. So I think that uh, those sorts of investments and those sorts of strategies help them stand out and ultimately pay back. Brilliant. So let me go back a little bit in your past experience. And you did a lot of work with Groupon and especially Groupon Japan. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about your what you're comfortable sharing and what were some of the key nuggets that you learned in that journey that is helping you with Select and the journey forward? Yeah, that's a great question. So working with Groupon was an incredible experience, especially in Japan. I'd never been to Japan before. So it was a really cool cultural experience for me. They have an incredible culture over there. And, um, you know, at the time I was working there, it was, you know, 2010 going into 2011. Groupon at that point was in the process of becoming the fastest growing company in history by revenue. So there were a lot of great things that, that I learned from Groupon. I think it was really a story of execution. You know, it was an idea that hundreds of businesses, literally maybe thousands, uh, tried to duplicate. Ultimately, Groupon stock isn't where it was when it first IPO'd, but they're still active. They're still generating billions of dollars in revenue. So like, they're the ones that won. And it was really an execution story. It was because they were hiring smart people who worked really hard and got things done in a quick time frame, And they were very demanding. Our goals for Japan as a market were very aggressive. We, we were able to surpass them. It was you know, one of the top markets for Groupon internationally in a matter of months. It was sort of unheard of, unfathomable growth, like even more than what you would expect a startup to forecast in their, in their forecast for a VC. So I think the positive takeaways for sure are recruit smart, hungry, passionate people, have demanding goals and execute. If you're slow to execute, someone else can pass you. In the case of Groupon, it was execution that that really led to their success. Uh, you know, I do think one of the takeaways I saw from Groupon was that the model didn't work for the sorts of businesses that Select works with, right? And, and Groupon probably had less of those than someone guilt perhaps, which I, you know, that's a service I still use on the retail side. So, so I, I do think there's great things about guilt as well. But I think like the model basically got mass applied and it wasn't really a mass applicable model. It works great for a business that wants to get someone through the door that's very sticky and whatever. But, you know, between the stipulations, the sort of lack of quality control and numerous other variables, you know, it was unlikely for Groupon customers to return ultimately. And that was one of the major pitfalls. And those were things we really looked to avoid with Select. Uh, that's part of why we wanted to work with only best-in-class businesses. We wanted the benefits that members received to be ongoing and unlimited. That way they could go not just once, but come back again and again and again. And then we wanted that you know commitment on the member side as well, so that both sides of the equation were filtered. So it was a remarkable experience and, and Groupon, you know, is a remarkable team building it at that point. And, you know, there were definitely, there was a lot that I learned in the time there and I really enjoyed the experience for sure. So looking at taking the discussion to a different direction, whether it is Groupon on how you see Groupon, I love that wisdom that a lot of others were trying to do it. It's not the just idea, it's execution over and over again and how you make it happen. Yeah. And same thing, Carlo, as you looked at is Select was built. From day one, it was born to be unique, different from everything else. So I just see in the business world, it's all about seeing what others do not see. So how do you see, and it's, I'm just putting you on the spot because you're doing yeah, it no, wonderfully, is 
how do you see in situations whether you are at Groupon or building select what is obvious after you found it but what most of us miss yeah so this is actually funny enough one of my favorite things to talk about is basically like a secret hidden in plain sight right and that's how i really view select on the whole to be honest particularly as we make the move into the credit card space right where you've got all these cards all these like you know miscellaneous points back or cash back or maybe a concierge just like why wouldn't a credit card give you a free round of drinks like why wouldn't it save you a grand on your hotel instead of giving you like miscellaneous 5x points that you redeem later. So select is sort of the epitome of a secret hidden in plain sight where it's obvious once you see that it's there, but but it's less obvious because others haven't done something like that before. And I think that's like a big part of just being an entrepreneur and an innovator is is spotting something like that, like like seeing something missing, noticing that there's this gap in the market or whatever you want to call it, and then solving for that problem exactly the way that we did. And, you know, initially when we started the company, we always thought it would be like an add-on to, you know, what whatever card someone was using, but, you know, now it's going to be its own card. So that's an even bigger opportunity than we thought, you know, than we thought about initially. And then with other companies, you know, I think, I think maybe it's most apparent when it's a startup company and you get to like start fresh and, and start from scratch almost. Um, but if you have an established business like Groupon, for example, sometimes, you know, cause it was growing so quickly in Japan when we were there, like, you know, there were certain things we would wonder about and you don't really have time to like, you know, call up someone to go do some three month research project or whatever. So sometimes we would just ask people like, sort of like, what do you think of Groupon? And, and what do you think of this? And sort of that anecdotal qualitative customer feedback can be really valuable. Like one of the things we learned was that people thought that the deals on Groupon were so aggressive and like sort of the UX of the experience that they almost didn't trust it. Like, cause they hadn't really seen something like that before. Right. So, you know, like there's elements of that that are good. That means that like what we had created at Groupon was, was so strong that they, they were almost skeptical of it. And we see that a little bit at, at select as well, but you know, like we took the feedback and worked on it to make it a bit more obvious that they could trust it a bit more obvious in terms of understanding why the businesses were participating and, and that sort of thing. So I think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to do. I think it's almost innate to find these hidden secrets in plain sight or, or whatever you want to call them. But I think it's a big part of entrepreneurship. Love that concept of hidden secrets at plain sight. Brilliant. So how do you define success? Like when you look at Select or when you look at your contribution at Groupon, how do you look at success and how do you push to win big in this whole environment? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think a lot of people answer this in different ways and different variations of honesty. Number one for me is impact, but you know, I'm not going to lie that the, the business metrics matter to me as well, right? Like, so like number one is how many customers' lives am I improving? How much are they engaging with the product? And obviously the flip side of that in our case, because we're also working with businesses is how many customers are these businesses getting? Is it improving things for them or whatever? So that's by, by far the number one driver for me and how I determine success is, is how many 
people's lives can we be a pivotal role of and really work to improve? And then the second, of course, is just like general business success. It's always cool to have double digit month over month growth. Like we're, of course, seeing right now as, as things are coming out of the pandemic, it's always good to see seven figure run rates and, and achieve things that, that most business owners don't. So, so I don't know, for me, I'm always thinking about both. And the number one is impact, but you know, I was sort of an investor before I got into starting companies and helping companies build. So I always think about sort of the financial side of it as well. And to me, they both are measures of success. So as an investor, what would be your advice to all of us on this side of the listening today? We are all looking for investors. What is the one thing as an investor, you look at the business, the first thing? Yeah, and I'm honestly a unique use case because I'm really picky. So I want to see something that I think that can be actually goes back to a select concept, funny enough, a, a category leader, you know, whether it's a public company, private company, I don't like investing in someone who's going to be the number three business or the number four business in a category, something like that. I just don't think that's interesting that there are opportunities there too. You can get in an attractive valuation. Certainly last year when we saw the falling dagger in the market and the private market followed some of those prices temporarily, there were lots of opportunities for that. But ultimately, I want a company, a team that can create a category leading product or service. That's the number one thing I'm looking for by far. When I'm looking at like private companies, I care an enormous amount about size and I care much more about potential size than current revenue. And I've seen a lot of startup investors in the New York area start to make this pivot a bit. I think New York initially, its startup investing was very numbers focused and sort of up and to the right. And that's really not what's finding the next unicorn. Like finding the next unicorn is finding a great team that's attacking a big problem in a huge market. And then you hope that they, and try to help them to do as well as they possibly can. So that's the way that I look at things. I think another general tip though, that that a lot of people forget about sometimes is investors, you know, it is a little bit of a herd mentality and everybody likes momentum. So when you have good momentum with your company, when you're having, you know, that double digit month over month growth, whether it's revenue or users or whatever that metric is for you, that's a good time to raise. Like don't sort of like wait until the wrong time to raise, raise when you've got that momentum. And and while you're raising, keep that momentum going because everyone's going to want to see that. You're going to want to be able to send out those updates that are positive, that, that make people feel like they might miss out, you know, create some FOMO. So those are, I guess, you know, a few of my suggestions in addition to, to what I look for. Love it. So in your journey, what has been your biggest inspiration, person, situation that has driven you and has helped you get to where you are? Yeah, that's a good question. And that's one that I'm actually asked a, a little less, but I, I think maybe the biggest one for us, and, and we've gone through you know many cycles as a company at Select. When we first started, it was you know boom hockey stick pretty much. It was, I don't want to say overnight because we were building towards it for several months, but it took off right away. And then we had huge challenges around market level changes that impacted some of our marketing, impacted some of our other things. And and I think at the end of the day, the biggest thing that ended up driving me through the experiences is when I saw 
that we could do our own financial products. That to me was really exciting, even though it wasn't the plan originally, right? Sort of originally, we thought we were going to build essentially the best member benefits program in the world. And that was exciting and, and it was cool. And, uh, you know, we thought a bunch of companies would want to buy it. That basically turned out to be true. We, we've had several, I think at this point, actually seven on the dot serious acquisition conversations over the years. And there were four basically all at once at, at a very early time period. And, you know, we almost considered it because it was while we were hitting a lot of hurdles. But basically when we saw that like we could build better credit and debit cards than anyone else in the market today, that's just such a huge impactful thing that it drives everything else, at least for me. It, it, the idea of holding a select credit card, knowing that I can use that card to do things that no other credit card can do, that's really, really exciting for me. So with all these accomplishments and this incredible future ahead, if you could go back in time and meet young Carlo graduating from high school, what would be one piece of advice you would give that kid? Yeah, that's an interesting question too. You know, I think maybe the advice would be dive in as crazy as that sounds. And I did that most of the time throughout my career. I don't know what made me do that, to be honest, but, but I had a tendency to dive in, but sometimes, you know, slightly delayed. So I think that would be my biggest recommendation. Like when you, you know, have the opportunity to do something that you think is exciting, that you think is interesting, it's much better to pursue that than what feels safer or more secure, I think. And look, you have to have the personality for it. You got to do it at the right stages of life. It has to work for you financially, all of that, but dive in would, would probably be my advice to the younger me. And I did it probably like 80, 85% as much as I would have liked to. <laughs> Love that. And 85% is a great score. Yeah, I, I did a pretty good job. What it usually was is I would like lag a month. It'd be like, oh, should I move all the way to Japan? It's like, yeah, do it like tomorrow. You know, <laughs> don't worry about little things on contracts and, and stuff like that. Like the sooner the better, you know, sometimes with this stuff. So the year right now is 2021. If we have this follow-up conversation in year 2030, where would Carlo brand be? And I'm talking beyond select because knowing you, you know, select will be great, but they could be bigger things and they're not could be, will be bigger things. But I want to know more about Carlo, the brand. Where would he be in year 2030? Yeah, that's an interesting question. And I guess I've been sort of acclaimed for building a personal brand, but really what I try to do on that front is just be authentic talk to people and I don't really make up or rehearse anything. So I think it will be similar. I'm, I'm hoping I'll have a bigger reach by then. <laughs> the select will be a bit more noteworthy and, and that I may even be able to do some other pursuits, right? So I think it will be a similar, you know, I'd say right now I'm mostly an entrepreneur. I, I do very little investing at this point. I'm quite heavily invested in my own business. <laughs> so perhaps in, you know, 2030, it would be a bit more of a mixture but overall, I just hope that, you know, if I'm able to impart with wisdom along the way or share experiences along the way that help other people, that's essentially where I want to be as a brand. You know, it's just in a place where I can help as many people as, as possible. So finally, you know, this has been a fascinating, intriguing conversation. Is there anything else you want our listeners to know that we haven't talked about? We've definitely gotten into a lot. No, I think if you're considering entrepreneurship, I think, you know, this is one of the things that I think is important to mention in any entrepreneurship conversation. It's a rough road. It's not easy. Sort of what you hear about in the media and see on Twitter is mostly the successes and mostly 
snippets, right? I think even even about some of the stuff that I share, like I'm, I'm sharing the good updates. I'm not sharing the 16 hour days or, you know, and I should do a better job of that sort of, you know, cross communicating. But if you're getting into entrepreneurship, it's a really intense journey. It's a rough road. Make sure you're ready for it. I do think it's an incredible experience is the flip side of the coin. You're going to learn more, do more, meet more interesting people than you will doing just about anything else. But it's for sure not an easy journey. It tends to be really, really challenging, but I personally find it to be worthwhile. And I do think, you know, I've seen people go from startup world back to corporate. I don't think people generally regret giving the startup world a try either way, either because it's always going to be a valuable learning experience, even if they start a company and it fails. And it's important to realize that the vast majority of the time it does fail. Even where Select is today, we're in like the top 1% of companies and we're not even close to where I want to take it. So you just got to be ready for a tough road and ready for failure. But know that the flip side of that is that you have an opportunity to learn a huge amount grow a huge amount and potentially to have an outsized impact if things do work out. Thank you. And you know, we could talk about this for a long time, but what I really love about this conversation was initially it started very focused in restaurants, hospitality. Yeah. But even there, you gave us enough nuggets which works for big brands, but also local niche brands a restaurant with an amazing view, restaurant. And, you know, to me, I think that's the part where there was a lot for everyone. But at the end, I think what fascinated me is about the bigger discussion of an entrepreneur. And you talked about diving in with all your heart. Don't worry about the contract. And the only thing you would do differently is you still did dive in, but instead of diving in a week or a month later, dive in now or yesterday. And I think that's a very fascinating part of a conversation because that to me connects back to your personal brand about authenticity. And authenticity to me comes not just with your brains, it just comes from your heart. And I really feel that diving in is a very fascinating concept. So Carlos Cisco, thank you for a fascinating conversation. Truly appreciate your time and your wisdom. Yeah, thank you for having me. So thank you all for listening. As always, as I mentioned, I have the best seat in the house when I have these incredible conversations because not only do I get to hear things firsthand, but I have that power which you don't have. So I can ask a follow-up question immediately because it's the follow-up questions as Carlo was going into dive in and others that really adds to the texture of the conversation. Thank you all for listening and looking forward to the next conversation where I bring in another guest from another part of the world, another walk of life. Until then, happy listening. Stay safe. Thank you. You've been listening to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, top brand growth driver and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. To learn more, visit www.zenmango.com. Share this podcast with your friends and subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.